0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to this episode of The Sidebar. On Monday, June 19th, 2023, the NYABJ proudly presents our second annual Juneteenth Gala and Awards Ceremony at The Water Club, located at 500 East 30th Street, Manhattan, New York. Won't you come and enjoy a memorable evening of good food and fabulous company? Hosted by today's show co-host and news anchor Craig Melvin and by CBS news anchor and national correspondent Michelle Miller. Tickets available now at nyabj.org. That's Monday, June 19th, 6 to 9 p.m. at the Water Club. Go to nyabj.org to get your tickets now. You are listening to The Sidebar, courtesy of the New York Association of Black Journalists a program about the world of media as seen through the lens of Black media makers.
1: A big welcome to filmmaker Tanya Lewis-Lee, co-director of the spectacular documentary Aftershock, which details the narratives of Black fathers and their families who lost their partners through fatal post-birth-related circumstances that are more widely termed the Black maternal morbidity crisis. Ms. Lee's film, which highlights the fact that black women are three to four times more likely to die from pregnancy-related issues than white women, won the Sundance Film Festival's 2022 Special Jury Award for Impact for Change, and the mother and attorney-trained documentarian and better half of Oscar-winning filmmaker Spike Lee joins us today on The Sidebar. So it's a pleasure to have you today, Ms. Lee. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, did I miss anything in that introduction that you want
2: to add? No, I think that's great. Right on.
1: I know from your The History Maker's biography that Aftershock is not your first work of interest in African-American maternal and infant health-related issues. As you've worked for the Office of Minority Health's campaign, A Healthy Baby Begins with You, and your previous documentary, Crisis in the Crib, Saving Our Nation's Babies but what specifically spurred your interest in producing and promoting a film on the Black maternal morbidity crisis? Well,
2: you know, thank you, first of all, for having me. I'm happy to be here uh, talking about these issues, although I wish, I wish we didn't have this crisis uh, at hand. Um, I was inspired to uh, make this documentary because um, it was clear to me, anecdotally, first of all, uh, I was hearing out in, in the community uh, women dying from childbirth complications. Uh, I, I used to speak around the world uh, around the country quite a lot about women's health issues. And ultimately someone would say, Tell me a story about someone they knew who had passed away from childbirth complications. And um, around 2017, 2018, I was just coming off of a film, another film I produced, and um, and I was looking and hearing, there were a couple articles that came out about what was happening with Black women and uh, and dying from childhood complications. And I said to myself, people really need to know what's going on. Uh, we're hearing about statistics, but the, the statistics are really human beings. And so mm-hmm. I really wanted to humanize the issue, if you will, of uh, maternal death. I wanted people to understand that families are left behind, that uh, when a woman dies from childhood complications, there's a real loss to not only her family, but her community. And I wanted to explore what the solutions could be to fix this situation, uh, to talk about it, raise awareness about it, and then figure out how we as a community make better, make for better outcomes. You just touched on something that I wanted to ask you. You said a little bit in your response. I wanted you
3: to elaborate on the titling of your documentary, Aftershock.
2: Yeah. So we call the film Aftershock, um, well, because Shawnee Benton Gibson, who is the mother of Shamani Gibson, who passed away uh, after uh, giving birth to her second child in October 2019, uh, at an event. Uh, Shawnee says um, something about the aftershock of dealing. She's like, the earthquake is the death, but it's, it's what happens after this person passes. That's the aftershock that they have to deal with. And so we felt that was appropriate, that there's an aftershock that goes on after someone passes away. And then sort of the tagline in our film is there was a ripple effect that happens when a black woman dies uh, from childbirth complications. And I can tell you,
3: watching that film, I really... At first, I will tell you, Miss Lee, at first I was like, oh, I thought it was gonna be statistics based and just like about black women. But when I saw the fathers talking, that sorrow and that angst and that pain is so palpable you can really feel it come across through the documentary. Um, and I just want to say, I feel, I feel that your film is a trifecta of perspectives detailing this issue. Um, and I really appreciated how it did three things for me. And I don't know if this was intentional or not, but it did three things for me. So what I saw was you're highlighting systemic inequity as a problem, Uh, Your depiction of black males is sensitive, invested, heroic, nurturing protagonists. And the third thing, um, the profiling of midwifery um, and birth centers as a historic and holistic alternative to this crisis. So
2: was that intentional? Like, how did you weave those three things? How did that emerge? Yeah, it was very intentional, and we set out. We knew first and foremost that we wanted to tell the story through people, lived experience, characters, and you know we were fortunate in that we met uh, Amari Maynard and then Bruce McIntyre, both people who were already having conversation with community. I mean, as soon three a few months after Shimani died. Omari and Shimani's mother, Shawnee, had a, a celebration of Shimani's life, but but they really wanted to talk about the maternal mortality issue in the community. Um, right after Amber Rose Isaac passed away, uh, Bruce had a press conference where he really brought up and wanted to be in conversation about what was happening in our community. So, so, so they allowed us to really tell the story through their perspective, right? Uh, and then, um, you know, in terms of the midwifery piece, um, you know, that, that became really clear. We met Helena Grant, who's a, a midwife at Woodhall Hospital here in Brooklyn, New York, and she is a wealth of knowledge. I mean, we really wanted to give context of how we got here, you know, the history a little bit, and then what the solutions would be. And so when we started looking at the context and how did we get here, we discovered that, oh, there was midwifery in the United States that actually worked up until it didn't when doctors wanted to come in and take over the profession. Uh, and I'm sorry, I had a hard time hearing what the what the second uh, part of your trifecta was. Was it the doctor? Oh, no. So, yeah. So it was... Um...
3: Let me go back. So you did it. You covered it. So it is midwifery and, oh, the black males and how they're portrayed as protagonists. Yeah. And then, oh, inequity. Systemic and inequity. inequity.
2: Yeah. And then yeah. obviously the systemic inequity. And we're talking about black women dying at higher rates than white women in this country. And so we really set out because we wanted it to be character-driven, but we also wanted people to understand the issues that were happening and how we got here. And so we very intentionally used our characters as our way into the story, who then pass off the information uh, to to pass off the story to somebody else who gives us the information, who then taps into something that brings us back to our characters. We were very intentional about that um, because we think that's the way you tell the full story. Got it, got it. And how long did it take you to tell this story? So we started in December, 2019 and we finished the film in December, 2021. So um, a couple of years, it took took a couple of years and we were on a part, I mean, we were working hard uh, and did this through the pandemic, mind you. I mean, and you know, there were some challenges in that because there were things that we thought we would have filmed people getting together at events and things like that, which didn't happen. Uh, but during the pandemic, we gave the protagonists iPhone cameras so that they could film themselves uh, in their own environments. And then as soon as things opened up, we went out and um, started filming as much as we could in a very small crew, uh, uh, very carefully. Unfortunately, no one, no one got sick or anything while we were filming.
3: Yeah, because I saw those masks. I'm like, oh my gosh, they were filming this through the pandemic. It still comes off superbly, uh, but I'm sure I thought, oh, (laughs) wow, I wonder how difficult it was with that. But when I saw those masks, I was like, oh, they just did this. Okay. Guys, through the pandemic. Mm
2: -hmm. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. So um, what effect, so I'm going to ask you a personal question. What effect uh, did profiling those black male widows have on you as a
2: filmmaker, a wife, and a mom. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where I I'm a fortunate person and that I've had wonderful men in my life. Uh, my father, mm-hmm. my grandfather, my uncles. I've just been really lucky in that I've been surrounded by beautiful black men who just mm-hmm. loved on me and supported me and and, and and continued my husband. I have a wonderful son. When I met Omari and Bruce, you know, um, It's almost like I have an expectation of good men, but like Mm -hmm. but when I watch them in the film, I mean, even now I get emotional about it because they are beautiful men who were so excited about the lives they had to live with these women that they just loved. And it and and these and you can, and I could see the love of the women through these men, you know. Um Mm -hmm. and I just think they're phenomenal because. Not only did they love these women, but like they love their community. So they turn their their pain into action so that other people hopefully, and they will go through it again, but they're also there for them, right? Um, I've met other men through Amari and Bruce who've experienced loss. And I have to tell you, it's really hard listening to this one man comes to mind, big brother who lost his wife when she had her their second child. And to listen to him talk about how he went into the hospital with the love of his life and came out with her death, death certificate and a baby. And he's just, and now he has to figure out how to raise these two children on his own. But the, but the beautiful thing is all of these men just love the women they're with, supported the women they're with on that journey the whole way and are devastated by their loss. And yet Omari and Bruce, have now found a way to provide a space for those men who want to, when they do unfortunately experience that loss, have a place to come mm-hmm. and have that kind of support. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're paying it forward and they're doing it on, I mean, this is who they are now. And um, to listen to them talk about their vulnerability with one another, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Black men are beautiful. And I was just so <laughs> happy to be able to show that in our film. And I really loved how you did because I
3: just love the humanizing effect of that because I'm very sensitive towards that. Like I've always seen it and I'm always acutely aware that it's operating. So anytime I see anything that's like starkly different and it's like a mitigating effect, it like just really resonates with me. Um, But there was a part in the film, I'm an English teacher too. So we teach our students um, metaphors, like we concentrate advanced placement and um, analyzing literature, analyzing um, nonfiction. When I saw Omari and Ruth running jogging together yes. and it was like that really touched me I was like what a superb metaphor because yeah. I can see these guys going somewhere they're running a race they're hugging one another they have endurance they're persisting so when I just saw all this good stuff in this film I was like this defied my expectations I really I, I knew it was going to be important I knew it was going to be important but I thought it was going to be more statisticy. You yeah. know, and more black women-driven narrative, and yeah. it just was a just a complete surprise. surprise. So I no know. wonder that it, it, it was no wonder why it um, it resonated at the Sundance Film Festival. So kudos to you Thank and, you and your that. filmmaking and your own. Yeah, I, I really I loved it. I loved it, and I just have a few more questions to go. I like I told you, I'm working on my nosiness. Mm-hmm. You uh you profile physician scientist and author of Understanding Value-Based Healthcare, Dr.
2: Neil Shaw. How did you find him? Dr. Neil Shaw, we found him. I think we found him in an article or something initially. Uh, And Mm -hmm. then we were uh, talking to people. uh, Well, and Bruce found him as well. So Bruce had, uh, and you see in the film, after Amber died, somehow Bruce and Dr. Shaw got together and they did a Zoom uh, webinar together. And that was authentic. I mean, that was Bruce and Dr. Shaw. And I will say he's really good, Dr. Shaw, as well, in terms of finding people with that experience to bring into his, well, at the time, into his classroom, to talk to his students. When we saw him on that Zoom with Bruce, you know, we were able to reach out to him. We had also been talking to people in Tulsa, Oklahoma, discovered he was doing work in Tulsa, Oklahoma. uh, And so, you know, decided to put all that together and follow Dr. Shaw after meeting him in the film with Bruce. To see the work that he was doing to try to improve outcomes in hospitals uh, and all and and in uh, all Oklahoma especially
3: got it uh,
2: Helena Dr Helena uh she she's in Brooklyn did you already know her how did you. No, we met Helena Grant. I'm trying to remember how we got to Helena Grant as well. She is somebody, and it's funny. I just she actually went to college with my um, my husband's cousin <laughs> at Georgetown, so there was oh, no. an good activity. Uh, but you know, we had heard that at Wood Hall there was uh, a midwife led practice, which is which is not common. And Helena Grant is the head of that midwifery practice. So that's really how we got to her, understanding that there was a midwifery-led practice in in a hospital in Brooklyn and that she was the head of that practice. Uh, And Helena is just very well known also by a lot of people um, as a midwife in her community. Uh, And so we were very lucky to get her because she's a very busy very
3: busy woman you know when i saw her talk about merit stems this is not a lie just a couple of months ago so I, I teach at the performing arts i teach at a performing arts school Fordham high school for the arts here in the bronx and we have advanced placement english classes going on in our school we just finished a couple of months ago a race ethics and medicine course where we learned about him and so I, we use the same picture that you use in your film, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is full circle. Why did you think that this was an important piece of information to put inside of the film?
2: Well, I think it's important that people understand how we got here. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you think about birthing in general, right? I mean, we've been birthing <laughs> since the beginning of time. That's how we're here. Uh, and really thinking about how did we birth in ancient times? How did we birth before? It was midwives. And then understanding, so then what happened in America to disrupt the midwifery practice? Then you begin to understand, well, wait, let's look at uh, obstetrics and gynecology. And then you get to Marion Sims, who's considered the father of gynecology. And then you start looking at what his practices were, how he actually, and again, Helena makes the point like, you know, there were enslaved people who these doctors could practice on, who had no agency. And that's what Marion Sims did uh, with no anesthesia, just the cruelty, the, 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 the profound cruelty. It's important to understand that so that when we look to what's happening present, presently, that Black women are dying from child. it's just, it's a, there's connectivity to that. It's
3: mm-hmm.
2: our mortality, our our maternal mortality and morbidity rate today. Even though it's worse than it was 25 years ago, is still mm-hmm. connected to our entire oh. history in this country, and and we have to understand that in order to make it better for 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 what's happening now. I, I just don't think it's possible to look at what's happening now without looking back, talking about it, understanding it, working through it. And then we get to a better place. I, and I thought the, that was just a powerful context, you know, with the history
3: element, because it's like now everything that was, if only a certain people knew it, now it seems like everything with history is coming out to for now. So when I saw, I was like, oh, like we just studied this and how you brought up that fact that we didn't use anesthesia for these fistulas. The students in my class there just riveted, like, oh my, it just made us embrace our history more, you know, where we come from more. But when I saw him and her talking about him, I'm like, what powerful context to the whole issue. Um, and your film breaks up the uh, revelatory medical fact that not only is there a stratospheric increase in C-section birth, but that the cost of them, and I want to be careful how I say this, 50%, I don't want to say cheaper because it sounds cheap, but lower than vaginal births. And do you think that this might be one of the reasons why it's more attributed to Black women? And would you, it's like, is this a referent conversation of Black women?
2: Well, I think it's an assault on Black wombs. I think it's assault on women in general. I I think that um, there is this idea that women are weak. Well, also, you know, obstetricians are surgeons, number one. I mean, you know, this is part of the problem. And I don't blame them because they're trained to be surgeons. And so they want to cut. I mean, that's what they're trained to do. They're trained to intervene. Doctors are trained to look for a problem, you know, and where you... We look for a problem. Often there is a problem, right? And yes, they are paid more for doing a cesarean, which costs less, right? Um, it's it's a it's a terrible um, it's a it's a it's a terrible equation that ultimately impacts us more than it does white women, uh, because doctors want to practice. That, that's, you know, that's what they want to do. And I, I do think, though, the other issue is that we're often treated, those that need the best treatment are also often treated by the people who have the least experience. So we get experimented on still to this day more by residents than by a doctor, say, who has the more experience. And doctors will tell you, well, residents have to learn so, but, but, but that has a negative impact on us because we're the ones, as Black women, who tend to get treated by the people with the least experience.
3: And what you said just ties into something. There was just so many profound points in this film. So many profound things. The whole thing is profound, actually. The whole thing. But he said something, Dr. Shaw, um, that I also found uh, profound regarding the denigrating and dangerous treatment of Black women as a medical sector, he said that affirming a person's dignity is a way to keep them safe. And I wanted to ask you, are you doing this to help profile midwifery as an alternative, not just for black women, but for all women?
2: I will say coming out of this film, I think that certainly in the United States, we need a culture shift and how we think about birthing period. I think for all women, I think that we are sold a bill of goods about the birthing process. Uh, I think that You know, pregnant women are not sick people. So I'm a little confused about why we're going to hospitals to birth in the first place, to be honest. Um, You know, that's my opinion. I'm not saying that women shouldn't go into hospitals. If that's the choice that a woman makes, that she wants to give birth in a hospital by a doctor, if she chooses, she wants to have a C-section. That's that woman's right. But I think that the culture shift that needs to happen is that we need to understand birthing as for those of us who choose to give birth, as a rite of passage, it is a profoundly powerful thing that a woman can bring forth life. And when she has the right support system around her and is able to tap into that place within herself to bring that life here, once she does that, she knows she can do anything. And <laughs> I think part of the game that's been played has been to tell us, oh my God, it's so much pain. Oh, it's so scary. You can't do that. Just lay back and let the doctor do it. The doctor will deliver the baby. And I'm telling you, doctors don't deliver babies. Women birth babies. No doctor is delivering a baby. A woman does the work. And so when we start flipping the script like that, I think we'll have a different way of thinking about birth. When you
3: just said that, the way that you said that, I remember the couple who went to the birthing center, but they were eating ices before exactly. she gave birth. And she said, you know, there's two things you can't do and he even knew it. He said, I'm not a woman and I can't be famous or something like exactly. that. So you just remember that. I just thought it was so cute, that was so good. Um, and even the way that she birthed in the film, it was Beautiful. like, not a not a whole
2: lot of hollering. The school was no. just different. Yeah, calm, relaxed wait that she wanted it done. Totally. I mean, I think also movies, I I get so disgusted when I watch birthing in movies or television shows. They're always, women are screaming, they're yelling, they're (laughs) like, and it's like, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Why are you always showing it like that? You know, And again, I feel that's disempowering to women, you know? Oh, I love that word that you just said,
3: because I can see this, how this is uh, a move of empowerment voting centers. Um, and speaking of power, uh, your film shows that the work that you've done has helped gain congressional policy attention. Um, what influence did your attorney background, if any, have
2: in this? work well i i can't say look again i think as a storyteller i'm following the story and so there are amazing okay. people on the ground who've been doing this work um you know on a community level i mean as you saw the the rallies and protests that people have are the way the people get changed because we don't have the money to lobby our legislatures the way say some industries do so the people we go to the streets and. So like people like Amari and Shawnee and Bruce and others who've been out there demanding that their legislatures do something have finally have been heard. And it has been phenomenal to see how our vice president has been on the front lines of this issue of maternal health from before she was vice president. Um, It's great to see. I mean, quite frankly, the black women in Congress who've been doing this work and carrying the ball for us. So, um, you know, I just, I just hold them up and, and appreciate the work of Lauren Underwood uh, and others in our Congress who are doing the work. Now, I'm scared to ask you this question because of everything that you just said, but I, I just have
3: to push the envelope and ask you, because it's natural, natural. How has your famous filmmaker husband, Spike Lee, um, affected the way that you produce films?
2: You know, I will say Spike, first of all, is one of the hardest working people I know. Um, you, you, I don't know anyone who works like Spike. And so if anything, I would say that watching him work and, uh, has taught me and look, making a film is not an easy thing, right? It's a, it's a lot of hard work. And, um, just watching him is inspiration to me about about how you go about your craft, how you really take care of your art. Uh, and so um, you know he's just and and on top of that, he's just really supportive uh, of me and you know we're we can sometimes be each other's harshest critics and at the same same time be you know each other's biggest champion. And so he's just been, He's just been really supportive and thoughtful in his comments and notes on the film. And I, I just really appreciate it.
3: Got it. And here's the last question. Now I wish I had more questions, but here's the last question. What is your vision for yourself as a filmmaker? Like, and how do you want to define your own definitive? Now, I know that you said that um, Mr. Lee is supportive of you, but your own distinct uh, filmmaking mark. That you want to leave on the industry as a woman, as an African American woman, as a wife and a mother. What would you say your vision is?
2: Yeah, it's it's a great question, and um, you know, I look at what I'm doing now, and honestly, I just want to, I just want to be, I just want to keep telling stories. You know, I. I tend to Mm -hmm. tell stories that are family-centered, that are looking at uh, our youth and and issues that happen, whether it's um, criminal justice or uh, uh, other social justice issues. Um, And so I don't know. I just want to keep telling stories, although I will (laughs) say. You know, my last film before Aftershock was the adaptation of the Walter Dean Myers novel Monster. Um, uh, and that's about a 17 year old kid who finds himself on trial for his partner robbery that goes wrong. So this is all to say that maybe my next film might be a little lighter, a little more fun, <laughs> but it will definitely <laughs> still have some social justice, something in there. Well, Oh, so, before I let you go, now, I have
3: to tell you this. I've made a change because I have some favorite films now. Don't get mad at me, but I have to tell you, Crooklyn is one of my all-time favorites. I understand. When that puppy pops in. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I... Hilarious. That was. Me and my mother, we were laughing at that. We just went on YouTube together on vacation, and we just watched it over. That is so funny. give that is hilarious. Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. And I wow. have to put yours up there after shot, After wow, So I, I just want to thank you for your time. You. I thank you for your time. You're a lovely, powerful, smart, talented filmmaker. And for your next one, we'll get together again. It sounds
2: good, Sonia. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Bye. <laughs> Take care.
0: We wish to express our most sincerest thanks to our distinguished guests. If you have enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe and give The Sidebar a great review. As a reminder, the views and opinions expressed in every episode of The Sidebar belong to the individuals who made them and not to the NYABJ. For more information on the NYABJ, please visit www.nyabj.org. Music by Halizna Raps. Monday, June 19th, 2023. All roads lead to the Water Club, 500 East 30th Street, New York, New York, for the New York Association of Black Journalists second annual Juneteenth Gala and Awards Ceremony. This year's gala will be hosted by CBS News anchor and national correspondent Michelle Miller and today's show co-host and news anchor Craig Melvin. Come out and celebrate, enjoy and support the NYABJ on this prestigious evening. Tickets are on sale now at nyabj.org. That's Monday, June 19th from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Water Club. Tickets on sale now at nyabj.org.